Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Ruthie Zell. Residents of towns along both the Missouri and Illinois sides of the Mississippi River are all too familiar with the effects of flooding on their communities. Those disasters happen again and again, and people are eager for a path forward. Joining me in studio to talk about the recurring problems and some potential solutions are Phil Stang, the mayor of Kimswick, Missouri, and Colin Wellenkamp, executive director of the Mississippi River Cities and Towns Initiative. And joining us by phone is Joanne Smiley, the mayor of Clarksville, Missouri. So Phil, Colin, and Joanne, welcome to the program. Thanks, Ruthie. Great to be here. Thanks, Ruthie. And it's very good to be here. Um, Joanne, I'd like to start with you. I understand uh, Senator Roy Blunt was in Clarksville over the weekend. He was indeed. He was here for the first time during the time, the period when water is up. And so he was able to see what we're like underwater. Uh, it was raining while he was here. So we, we did everything we could to provide him with the worst case scenario. He saw it, and he came into our city hall, and I was able to share with him a solution that we have determined to be the best for us in defense of flooding. Okay, and we're going to be talking about solutions a little later. Um, I'd like to go to you, Phil, because you've been talking to politicians as well. Absolutely. I've spoken to Senator Blunt. Um, I also have spoken to many members of Congress, the Senate, and people at the White House. We made a trip there with the Mississippi River Cities and Towns Initiative and uh, presented to them our programs related to flooding, to sustainability on the river, and so on. Uh, I've also had local conversations um, with uh, Senator Hawley's people, uh, all talking about the same issues that we talk about uh, along the river, the, uh, the building of levees, flood fighting, and also what we can do in preparation and what kind of funding we can get to sustain this kind of a process. Well, Colin, your organization represents well over 100 communities along the Mississippi River. They're all represented by mayors. This has got to be like a recurring nightmare for you. It is. It's um, the mayor of Alton told us yesterday, <clears throat> or excuse me, um, early, last week earlier that he is now fighting, fighting floods full bore once every eight months. And he, in his city's 200-year-plus history, the top six floods uh, have um, mostly occurred in his, during his term, uh, during his first and second term as mayor. So they've all been stacking up uh, fast and furious. They come now with a you know, tighter timelines in between them, and they come with, with greater damage. So we're having to adjust to a, a new degree of impacts uh, along the Mississippi River, all the way from the headwaters to New Orleans. Uh, so we, we, we run the whole, the whole 2,500 mile length of the, of the waterway. Okay. I'd like to invite our listeners, too, to join into the conversation. If you have a question or comment for our guests, give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK, or you can send us a tweet at STL on air, or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. So let's talk money. It's, it just seems like these cleanups are becoming more frequent. What kind of feedback are you getting in terms of financial assistance during times like these? Well, 
This is uh, Phil Stang. I'll step in on this one. Um, as uh, Colin mentioned, the uh, the Alton floods uh, over the last few years have been in their top six. Uh, in 1993, we had our largest flood, and in 2015-16, the winter flood was our second largest flood, and we had predictions that this flood would be as high as that. Uh, since the flood season isn't over yet, we're not sure where it might end up. Uh, right now, it's about third or fourth, depending on the way you look at it. Now, for a small city like Kimswick, it's a very expensive operation. We consume um, probably uh, close to 40% of our budget for the city to fight floods. Now, we do receive some uh, funds to support us uh, on the backside of it to recoup about 70% of what we put into the levy, but the procedures to do that are very complicated. We also have to take down the levy, most of the levy, because most of it is temporary. And so looking for um, resources to be able to build one that's permanent um, is outside of the realm of possibility at the moment, and that's why we're very interested in funding to be able to do that. Uh, so much of what Phil has said, this is Joanne, uh, so much of what Phil has said and what you've heard about Alton is true for Clarksville and many other of the cities up and down the river. We're 200 years old, too, and we have sustainability going on in our hearts. We have resilience going on in our hearts, but when the water comes, we have to do a, a period of defense, and it requires not only money, but it requires labor, and we don't have that in our community. We don't have that many people who can come and put the labor into building the levee or the wall, whatever you want to call it. And, of course, our effort at this point and since 08 has been to secure a temporary wall that we can put up and take down ourselves, thereby being independent. But even for the five-block area that it would cover here in our town, you're talking $4 million. And at this point, we've been back to the state again and again and again. And at this, right at this very moment, it appears that we're waiting on the governor's signature on a bill that will provide us money from the state but then we have to, after that is secured, we have to go to the federal government. And after that, we go to the other agencies who will be helpful to us in securing the rest of the funding. So it is not simple, and it's not easy. And it's not, it doesn't sound terribly quick either. Oh, no. We, we have been at this since 08. 08 was our third highest level in flooding in Clarksville. This one was the fourth. So, Colin, why is this flooding getting worse? Uh, there's a number of causes. Uh, <clears throat> you can rank them in different orders, uh, but we're, you asked about money, the dollar figure. So you have Mayor Stang and Mayor Smiley uh, at Main Street level. Now zoom out at corridor level. Uh, so that's the entire Mississippi River corridor Mm, about a county or two on each side of the river is the statistic I'm about to give you. From Bemidji, Minnesota, the first city on the river, to New Orleans, Louisiana, we're at about $200 billion in impacts since 2005 um, along the river. That's a, that is a real loss value given to us by the reinsurance industry. And it is uh, 
that that number has stacked up recently. We in 2011 we had a four and a half billion dollar floods, and then in 2012 we had a 35 billion dollar drought. So it's not just flooding. We have we have multiple types of disasters hitting us. You'll we'll have we'll have lots of flooding, and then boom, a few weeks later, a few months later, we'll be hit with a record drought, uh, and that comes with its own dollar figures. Uh, and then so on and so forth, and they just they just keep coming. There are a number of <clears throat> things that have happened to the corridor over the last century that have contributed to exacerbating these problems, to answer your question directly. Um, so let's say you throw out climate change altogether, okay? Climate change doesn't exist, okay? It's, it's, it's just cycles in the, in the earth. Let's, we'll, we'll just give you that for a second. The... The fact that we have removed 80% of the corridor's wetlands in the 10-state area of the river over the last century, as well as forests, as well as marshes, as well as lowlands, and we have disconnected the Mississippi River to its backwater areas and floodplains in many sections. And this is nobody's particular fault. This is just development, right? Development for neighborhoods, communities, lots of agricultural development over the last 100 years has made these changes to what we call uh, in our in our association natural infrastructure that used to be able to absorb a lot of these impacts. So in fact, there's been some preliminary analysis done that these impacts that we're sustaining wouldn't actually be so hard on us and so bad and cost so much if we did have that natural infrastructure still in place. If we did have that connected floodplain if we did have those marshes and wetlands, they would suck up a lot of that uh, excess impact and they would retain moisture in the system during droughts. Since we don't have that infrastructure anymore, we just get it hit in the face and there isn't as much um, capacity to absorb, whether it be drought, heat, or flooding, because uh, we're, we're getting all three, um, that we used to. So we can't, you know, we're, we're, everyone isn't going to move away from the river, right? It's just right. too big of an economic engine. It's a $500 billion engine to the U.S. economy uh, for supporting 1.5 million jobs. But we do have a number of solutions that we've put on the table from a mayoral point of view that we think can help uh, both in our cities and outside of our borders that can give the taxpayer biggest bang for their buck in being resilient to these new levels of disasters. Okay, and we should uh, note for our listeners who aren't familiar uh, with Kimswick or Clarksville, uh, Kimswick is like about 40 miles straight shot on I-55, right? And Clarksville, which I have not been to, is closer to Hannibal. It's north in the opposite direction, about an hour and a half or so. Um, because of where you are respectively situated, is does the impact is it different on, on, let me go to you first. Well, the impact on us, we, we still have uh, several areas in the uh, Kinswick area that are wetlands um, and do absorb some of it because we are hit by um, Rock Creek that runs parallel to the city into the Mississippi. Uh, another variable for us is the fact that we are just below the Merrimack. And if the Merrimack is at high flood stage, it just exacerbates our problems. Um, 
one of the things that uh, we looked at, uh, and and we have a we have a fairly low levy uh, most of the time, and it doesn't interfere with the drainage and so on. But when we get impacts at the level that we're talking about now, specifically for me, and this is, I, I tell everybody when they ask me, how, how do you know when to start fighting floods, Phil? And I say, the, the telephone pole across from my house is 39 feet above flood stage. My house will not flood. So that's how we do it. But we also are, end up blocking some of those uh, drainage areas when we try to fight the floods, which then sends more water. Now, we have had some cooperation from cities above us, specifically Arnold, that has not built a levee where they could have in park areas, which does help us from uh, the Merrimack floods. Okay, uh, Phil. We need to take a quick break, but you hold that thought. We're going to be back shortly to continue the conversation, all right? This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. Welcome back. Thank you, uh, Mayor Smiley, for your patience. I would like to pick up this conversation about how what you may be experiencing in Clarksville might be a little different from other river communities. We tout ourselves as an unhurried, unspoiled, uncommon community, and I can accentuate that by saying when you turn off of Highway 70 and come toward Hannibal, the first time you have opportunity to experience fully the Mississippi River is here in Clarksville, and consequently, we have had the joy of being a recognized state destination. We have the highest point on the Mississippi here, and and the experience with the river is available very close to the very front business district, if you will, which is the front street of Clarksville, a park just beyond that. But that's the distance between us and the river. We, uh, we feel like we are a state asset. We know that we have to employ disaster-resilient projects if we're going to continue to be the community we'd like to be. And in seeking a solution, we're looking for something with long life, something that's easily deployed by our own people, and something that has proven success. And we have followed the guide of FEMA and SEMA, and we have in hand, we have uh, an engineering report from the Corps of Engineers that supports a system that we're looking for. We don't want a permanent wall. We have levees all around us because we are we are surrounded by farmland, which happens at this moment much to be underwater. But we have levees all around us, and we don't want to put one on the river that obliterates the experience of the river. And levees do pose other kinds of problems, too. Um, let me ask you this, Colin. Is far as you have a number of communities, a lot of them put up levees, and sometimes those levees go up at the expense of other communities. Right. So how do you strike that balance when looking for solutions? Well, so we have seen, uh, this, is, this is sort of the, the moment to write home about, because we have seen a sea change in how leaders and, and the public are willing to approach this problem recently. Our association is started in 2012, and 
we came together in, in, in disaster. We had just gone through the 2012 drought. We've gone through the floods of 2011, and we had gone through <laughs> Hurricane Isaac, all within about 400 days. So we were, the, the mayors were beleaguered, and they thought, we've got to get together. We've got to start to pursue different solutions because the conventional stuff isn't going to cut it anymore where we approach these problems from our backyard. They're too big, and they're coming too fast, and they're too expensive. So we have to start approaching them and thinking about them at corridor scale. We didn't know exactly what that meant back in 2012, but over the seven years that we've been doing this, these mayors have had a, a series of aha moments together um, that, <clears throat> okay, um, when, when water is coming into your constituents' living room, you, for up until recently, you... Ruthie could not have any conversation except about a wall, right? Right. Because people, people's lives are in the process of being destroyed. They're losing their greatest investment. Um, people would only want to talk about a wall, and no one would blame you for that. And if you were a mayor and you weren't talking about a wall in that moment, you weren't going to be mayor for very long, longer. So, uh, but there has been a change. Folks are starting to change their mind about, well, the walls, the flood walls, the levees, the, the, the traditional gray infrastructure approach just seems to be exacerbating the problems for us. It just seems to be um, uh, make, constricting the river and causing more issues and, and heightening our risk. So, and not all levees are created equally. You have levees that are pushed up all the way up to the water's edge. You have levees that are illegally high. Um, you have levees that pose a lot of danger. And when it comes down to it, may, what Mayor Stang, the example he just gave about what Mayor Counts and Arnold didn't do, was put up a levee in his riverfront, which would have really caused a lot more risk and danger for Mayor Stang. That's what it's about. The fact that he didn't do that, the fact that he wants to pursue a riverfront park to be his, his, his flood control situation, um, to help not only Arnold, but also Mayor Stang around him, that's, that's the new moment that we have come to now. And we, we see that play out in other parts of the river as well, where mayors are looking for these natural solutions, um, like putting in a wetland like they did in Grafton, um, like uh, uh, increasing the size of their riverfront park and making that uh, their flood control solution. Uh, like they did in the Quad Cities area. When you get 124-year high in precipitation in your state, I don't care what your flood control solution is, you're going to get wet. But you don't want to push that water into a neighboring community. You don't want to create a wall of water or a wall of disaster that's going to destroy someone else. We all collectively want to work together to absorb as much, as much risk on site as we possibly can. And I have to give credit to these mayors. They've actually been working toward that uh, and sometimes with not a whole lot of resources to make it happen. All right. Uh, let's go to the phones for a moment. We have, I believe, Fred Holding from Glendale. Good afternoon, Fred. I want to uh, just mention and follow up on the mayor of uh, Clarksville, uh, Clarksville's uh, comments. Uh, a few years ago, a very sophisticated friend from San Francisco came visiting me here in St. Louis, and I took him up the river, and we wound up in Clarksville, and he was totally dazzled. What a neat place, he said. 
I couldn't get the camera out of his hand. He loved the towboats going through the locks, the 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 main street front. Golly, I hope that a wall or anything up there is going to change the little town. It's so terrific. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure that Mayor Smiley is very pleased to hear that. that. Can you imagine the smile on my face? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm sure it's very wide right now. Well, I, we appreciate your call. Thank you, Fred. Thank, Thank you for you, calling. Fred. Thank you. <laughs> I'm intrigued by this floating wall idea. Or Is that what you called it? It isn't a floating wall, but it's a temporary wall. Temporary the, wall. The, the foundation is in the ground, and it is only used when necessary. In other words, uh, it is stored away. This particular company is a German company, and it's called EKO, and it uh, comes, all of the equipment comes in its own pod, so we don't have to have a building. We just have to have a secure place for it to sit, and a very small number. I believe that we've determined that nine of us could have put up what we have, cut, what we have defended. We could have put up that length of it, in one day. That's amazing. Yeah. I do have a question because really the Mother Nature seems to be over time, over the centuries, one of those forces you <laughs> can't really manipulate in the end. That's D- does Mother Nature just tend to win sooner or later here? Well, the, 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 the river is going to find its way um, into the elbow room at once. One, one way, yeah, one yeah. way or the other. And we've constricted the river so much over the last hundred years for development of different types that um, where it used to spread out naturally, it doesn't have that ability anymore. It just gets constricted. And that's why levees tend to make our problems worse. Now, you, you're always going to have some sort of flood protection for critical national infrastructure, right? For schools, hospitals, downtown cores, main streets, uh, you know, electrical switching stations and water treatment facilities and rail. You're always going to need that. But do we need to have vast high levees built all the way up to the edge of the river uh, protecting huge amounts of uh, of of agricultural land or can there be uh, what we've asked can there be critical junction points put in like they have in the south in the southern in the southern uh, lower Mississippi River Valley they have these junction points that are engineered to be release points for the river at, at, at a critical moment when you need it when you need pressure released we just have a mix mash of different types of flood control solutions on the upper half of the Mississippi River which uh, exacerbates our problems and 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 farmers and especially soybeans we were talking about that er- earlier you know faced with the tariff situation they're hurting right now because their floods are their their floods are be- or their fields are being flooded and they can't they can't get grain into the ground we have to make sure that whatever additional risk agricultural take agriculture takes on that they are compensated for that risk if if it involves creating a, a pressure release point somewhere in the levee to uh, to help uh, with some of this danger. 
Okay, we got a quick question. Uh, Terry in Marthasville, Missouri, just sent us an email, and she writes, I'd like to know why natural wetlands are being destroyed. In the town I live in, our mayor granted permission, along with SEMA, for a developer to tear out a natural designated wetland to build on. Since that happened, they put in a pipe that brings even more water into the creek, and all the birds and animals that live there are gone. Now the water threatens the street and our home, practically every time it rains. Have you heard about a situation like this? Where is she? Uh, she's in Marthasville. I'm not sure geographically where that oh, is located. Okay. Mar- Marthasville is uh, halfway between Washington and Warrington. Uh, about an hour west. Yes. Okay. So along the Missouri River. Is that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. So that would be a different... Different watershed. Set, yeah. Yeah. But we, you know, so it it's one thing when a an environmental organization comes and talks to you, but when uh, J.P. Morgan Chase comes and talks to you about the what they want to see in your in your loan application for your municipal bonds, if they're providing the capital, they want to see a wetland. They came and told us they want to see natural infrastructure. They want to see that you have a climate mitigation plan. They want to see a sustainability platform and an adaptation plan in your projects. We had the executive director of the J.P. Morgan Chase Sustainability Bank out of Denver came and talked to our mayors twice about what they want to see before they let capital go into infrastructure projects. And he told us straight up, I'm I'm not looking for the waterfront convention center that destroys a wetland to build the convention center. I'm looking for the convention center that is built next to the wetland and you augment and improve that wetland to create a shield to the building that you're asking me to invest in, a a natural flood absorption point so that I know that that building is even more protected with infrastructure you're not saddled with maintaining. That's a beautiful thing about a marsh or a wetland. I don't have to maintain it. I just have to make sure it's healthy. Uh, uh, you know, you're, and go ahead, Mayor. Yeah, and that that's correct. We have a uh, we have a comprehensive plan in Kimswick that also incorporates uh, uh, a project that we did with uh, East West Gateway and uh, Great Streets programs, and built into our comprehensive plan in the future will be those kind of uh, wetland areas and increase to, to increase the water capacity that can go there. We are also in the process, we're breaking ground in July on the Port of Kimswick, which will be the home for the historic riverboat uh, Delta Queen uh, and many other riverboats that will be coming there. And we have no intention whatsoever of putting any kind of a levee around that port. It will naturally be allowed to flood. So the materials that are being put in there will be capable of withstanding the flood. And then uh, we'll just walk out there and wash it off when it's done. Okay. And with Memorial Day being just a, well, two weeks from today, I'm, I'm sure you're eagerly looking forward to some kind of success as far as your tourism and vacationers. Uh, my comment on that, since I'm wearing my strawberry tie at the moment, is in the first weekend of June in the city of Kimswick is Strawberry Festival. And we're sitting there with our fingers crossed watching that levee and watching the water levels to see exactly what the impact might be on us. All right. Well, we're out of time, but I want to thank you, Colin Wellencamp of the Mississippi River Cities and Towns Initiative, Kimswick Mayor Phil Stang, and Clarksville Mayor Joanne Smiley for joining us today. 
This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU.